in our life. If you have your Bible, book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 29. Book of 1 Chronicles, chapter number 29. Before we get started this morning, I want to ask a question. What is it that we give our everything to? There is something that there's always something. For some of us, there's there's a lot of somethings. There was a kid two weeks ago, he played, uh, I guess it was Arkansas. Uh, they, they considered naming a road after him. He had so many sacks in that game. But he played with the flu. Michael Jordan played three games of an NBA championship with the flu. And I'm not comparing myself to two great athletes, but I played the fine high school basketball tournament with the flu. But whenever we really love something, there's very few things that can get in our way. Sickness, whoop-de-doo, sprained ankle, we'll push through it. The kids, especially at football games, the coach will bring in big bottles of ibuprofen, I mean, like that. And kids will take a handful of them. Well, what's that for? It's not for the pain I have. It's the pain I'm about to feel. But they push through it. They, they, don't, they don't mind it that much. Right now, across the nation, there's kids playing sports, especially in knuckleheads up north playing football and soccer in the snow. It's, it's cold. Uh, most of you here probably either watched or played baseball in February, and it's cold. You would start to sweat, but all your, your sweat kind of turns to ice, and whenever you move your hands, it cracks, and then move your, your sleeves, they, they crack because it's turned to ice, and it's, it's miserable. But you do it because you love it. You do it because you enjoy it. You sit on the deer stand, and you can't feel your feet from 20 minutes before you show up to two days later. The wind's blowing straight in your face, and you want to cry, but you're not sure that the deer will see your tears, so you hold it back. Just waiting on that big one to walk out. And you don't do it because of, you love sitting out there in the icy cold. You do it because you love it. You do it because you love the deer. You do it because you love the hunt. Some of us do it because we love the peace and quiet. But you do it because it's something that you something that you put everything into. Jeff Foxworthy said one time, he said, deer is the most expensive meat that you'll ever eat. He said it costs somewhere around $60 a pound. And it's true. You add up how much you have in guns and bullets and corn. and got to have a four-wheeler to get to the deer stand. And a lot of people pay for leases. And you know, every couple of years, you got to have a new deer stand. And if you bow hunt, you got to have a new climbing stand every time one comes out every couple of years. By the time you have your camouflage and your thermals and your heater and your, your hot hands and your breakfast and your mini buddy heater to put in your box stand, deer meat costs about $60, $65 per pound. But we don't do it because it's, it's, it's about the meat. People do it because they love it, and it's the same way with fish. But at what point do we have that kind of zeal toward the things of God? First Chronicles chapter number 29, verse number 1. Furthermore, David the king said in the all congregation, Solomon, my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord. And they're getting ready. They're getting ready to build... The house of God. And Solomon was young and David said, This is not for man. This is not for him. This is for the Lord God. Verse 2, Now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God. The gold things to be made of gold. The silver things to be made of silver. The brass for things made of brass. Iron for things made of iron. Wood for things made of wood. Onyx stones and stones to be set. Glistening stones of diverse colors. All manner of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, 
Because I have set my affection on the house of God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver which I have given to the house of my God and over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house. Now David wanted to prepare the temple of God. David wanted to build it. But because David was a man of war, David was a man who had shed a lot of blood, God said, no, you can't do it. He said, but I'll let your son do it. So David set his mind to preparing for the building of the house of God. And whenever he set his mind to preparing, he said that I have prepared with, I'll underline the next three words in my Bible because I've read this a couple of times. I never really paid an awful lot of attention to it. How much work it had to have been for David to prepare to build what is known as one of the greatest structures of all time, historically speaking, and that is the, the temple that Solomon built. And David prepared it with all my might. It's hard for us to put all of our might into one in particular thing. But whenever we do, what do we have left? If we give all our might to a basketball game, what happens on the bus ride home? You have to recover. You have to recuperate because you have given everything that you have to that sport. You have given everything that you have to that coach, to that school. You've given everything that you have chasing that buck, chasing that, that limit of fish, whatever it is may be. Whenever you do something with all of your might, whenever I do something with everything that's in me, afterwards I'm wore out. But on the bus ride home after a win, you sleep a little better, don't you? The potholes don't wake you up quite as much. Whenever you get that, you finally get that big buck sitting in front of that fireplace letting your feet defrost feels a little bit better than had you come home with absolutely nothing. Whenever you achieve your goal, whenever you put all of your effort into something and see it come to fruition, it just means just a little bit more to see that you have succeeded, that you have done it, that I have reached that place, that, that I have reached my goal that I set for myself. David knew that he would never be able to build the temple. David knew that he would never see it finished. He knew that he would never get to see that which he desired so very much. He knew that he wasn't going to win. He knew that he wasn't going to get his prize. He knew that it wasn't going to happen. But he did it anyway. In high school, uh, we played sports. and Whenever we were going to to play a team that we knew was 10, 20, 30 times better than us, it was hard to put all of your might into that game. For years when I was in school, Pine would always play John Curtis in the first round of the playoffs. Y'all remember how those games went? They didn't. They didn't. Every now and then, Pine was lucky enough to score. But they, they didn't go well. And after a few years of, of getting royally beat, it was hard for kids to put their heart and soul into those games. My sophomore and junior year, we didn't have pep rallies for that game. What's the point? Kids would quit the football team the week before that game because they didn't want anything to do with it. They knew what the outcome was going to be. They knew what was coming. Evidently, they'd never seen the motivational movies facing the Giants, We Are Marshall. They knew what was coming. And they couldn't put all their might into those games. They couldn't do it. Whenever in a basketball game you're down 30, 40, 50 points, it's hard for you to keep hustling up and down that court. It's hard. We were hunting up in Tensaw one year. It was raining. I wasn't lucky enough to be in a box stand. I got wet. On the way to the deer stand, it was 
kind of halfway dry. I had rubber boots on. I walked through a, a mud hole. Didn't quite come over my boots, but didn't miss it by much. Well, by the time it rained, I sat there five or six hours. And I shot a deer. Four-wheeler wouldn't crank. So I began to drag the deer. And I drug it, and I drug it, and I drug it. And my boots filled up with water. And I knew what the outcome was. I knew that I was at least two hours from getting back to the camp where I could dry myself out. I knew that I was absolutely shivering, freezing cold. It was really, really hard for me to keep dragging that deer. I made it halfway out before I turned the deer loose. I turned loose and I walked back. Because it was difficult for me to do that with everything I had to put all of my effort into that. Whenever I was so hurt. Whenever I couldn't feel my toes or my legs or my fingers or my face or anything else. Whenever it was just miserable. David knew that he was going to lose and he did it anyway. He said, of mine own house. Of mine own proper good. Of what I have personally. He said, not only have I invested in this physically. He said, but I've invested in this monetarily. I have given everything that I have. He, he, he took years to prepare this. Can you imagine, even though David may have been one of the most powerful men on the earth at this time, it still took him a lot of time, a lot of trouble, a lot of effort to prepare gold, silver, brass, iron, wood, stones, marble. It took him effort. It took him time. And he knew that he was going to lose. It's easy for us to give of our time out of convenience. That's really, really, really easy for us to do. Whenever we're passing through somewhere and we need to stop and see somebody and we'll say, oh, we can stop and see so-and-so because it's on the way. It's easy to stop and see somebody when it's on the way. It's a whole lot harder going out of your way to go by and see somebody. It's easy to give whenever, whenever you have an abundance that month. But in those months, that the, there's too much month at the end of the money. Those months, it's a little harder to give. Those months, it's a little harder to give in faith. It's a little harder to... It's a little harder because it's not convenient. The woman came to the temple in Jesus' day. And all these men were coming, all these rich folks, and they were coming, and they were giving of their abundance. Jesus said they gave of their abundance. Of, they had a lot. So they just took a handful that wouldn't matter, and they threw it over there. And then this woman, this widow woman, she came and she gave, I think it was a mite. A mite was the equivalent of a nickel in our day. And Jesus said she gave more than everybody else. Not because she gave just this little bit, which in the reality is a drop in a bucket. She gave of everything she had. So percentage-wise, the, the, the people that were very well off given out of their abundance were given 1%. 2% of everything they had. This woman gave 100% to God. And this morning, I don't want to focus on monetary. I want to focus on giving of ourselves. David put his the, the end of his life's work. Verse number 2, he said, I have prepared with all my might. The end of his life's work. And David messed up. David was people just like us. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. David was a sinner. David was a murderer. But David gave it all to God. David begged God to forgive him and God did. David begged God to use him and God did. 
Just like David could recover from everything what he went through, so can you, so can I. And David, at the end of his life, he gave everything to God. He gave of his time. He gave of his strength. He gave of his energy. He gave it all to God. Turn over, if you would, in your Bible to Luke in chapter number 9. Gospel of Luke, chapter number 9. What I really want to get us to think about this morning is how much of our effort, how much of our time, how much of our energy is devoted toward God. And I'm not a math teacher, but imagine there's a big pie chart up here. Everybody knows what a pie chart is. We ate plenty of sweet potato, chocolate cream, lemon icebox pie yesterday. So whatever your kind of pie is, this is that pie. Of that big pie chart, this is all the energy that you have, 100% of the energy. Now we understand the kids take up 1% to 2% of that energy, right? They take up just, just, just a wiggle. So you take 1% or 2% of that energy. And... I'm kidding. Kids take up most of your energy. So you take most of that energy and you give it to your kids. And then if you work, your job at least takes a little bit of the energy. They say it takes most of your soul, but it takes all of your energy. So a little bit of your energy is going to go toward this job. And then you, your family takes a little bit of your energy. Keeping up a home takes up a little bit of your energy. Washing dishes, folding clothes takes up a whole lot more than energy. It takes your dignity, but that's what somebody said about having kids. They said, at no point in time in your life have you ever thought that it would be below you to change someone's pants, to wipe their butt, and them sit there and laugh at you. <laughs> said, but whenever you become a parent, that's, that's part of it. So of all this energy that you had, it's easy for it to deplete throughout the day. It's easy for kids. It's easy for job. It's easy for work. It's easy for the cows. It's easy for the pigs. It's easy for everything to take what little bit of energy that that Mountain Dew or that cup of coffee may bring to us. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and the heal the sick. The thing about energy is, is if you know anything about biology, I didn't know a lot about it until I started teaching it this year. But whenever we consume protein, we are able to transfer about ten percent of that energy from whatever we eat into our cells. Most of the time, in the form of sugar, but we transfer it into ourselves. So as we eat. We are regaining or renewing that energy that our kids, that our job, that our work, that our, our hobbies or whatever took from us. So throughout the day, even though we are depleting part of this pie chart, even though we are eating one piece at a time, God can give it back to us. If we want to serve Him, God will give us that second win that we always talk about. He said He called His disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils to cure diseases, to heal the sick. And if God can do that for them, can He give us the energy to witness to other people whenever we really don't feel like it? Can He give us the energy to invite somebody to church whenever we really don't want to talk to them? Can He give us, can he give us the energy, the patience, to forgive our family members whenever they do us wrong or root for the wrong team? Can God give us the grace to live for Him in a life where we are otherwise overwhelmed? 
It's easy to get bogged down in everything else. Jesus told him, He said, Take nothing for your journey. Neither staves, nor scrip, nor bread, nor money. Neither have two coats apiece. He said, Whatsoever house you enter into, there abide and this depart. And whatsoever will not receive, and whosoever will not receive you. When you go out of that city, shake the very shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. Jesus said, You don't have to prepare yourself to work for me. He said, What you need, I'll provide you. Anybody ever tried to herd chickens? What happens whenever you try to herd chickens? So whenever you're trying to gather them all up, you try to herd them, what happens to the chickens? Every direction, right? You just tuck. Best case scenario, you might can get two or three to go the same direction. The same thing is true with cats and dogs and squirrels. And yet Noah got them on the ark. Anybody ever tried to catch a, a wild cat? Anybody? A feral cat that wasn't a pet. You done? It's, it's tough. Noah, Noah ended up with two of every kind on the ark. Do you think he had to go out and set traps to catch them? Or do you think that God brought them? So in the movies uh, that we see, we see Noah. We see the animals lined up two by two, just walking up to that ark. Do you think that Noah trained them? Or do you think that they just showed up because God sent them there? Whenever God tells us to do something, whenever God tells, told Noah to build an ark, He didn't tell Noah, Noah, you've got to worry about this, 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 and this. He said, build me an ark. I'll take care of the rest. He said, build me an ark. God didn't tell us to worry about how our message is going to be received. God didn't tell us to stress about how many people we invite is actually going to show up to church. God didn't tell us to... to, to God didn't tell us to take that personally. He said, if they won't receive you, shake the dust off and move on. Most missionaries, especially in foreign countries, usually speak to somewhere around 100,000 people personally in their mission on average. 100,000 people is a good number to start with. Statistically speaking, less than 50% of them hear what they're saying. They may listen, but they don't hear. So 50% you can write off immediately. Of that 50% that hear, only about 30% will contemplate or think about the actual messages being presented. So only 30% of the grand total will think about what's going on. Will think about Christ. Will think about church. Will think about God. Will think about salvation. The rest will in one ear and out the other. Of that 30%, less than half of them will make a decision to allow Jesus into their life. Less than half of them will receive God. Less than half of them will be saved. If at any point in time we believe that it is our mission to save people, we are messed up. If we believe that it is our mission to change the world, we have messed up. Jesus told his disciples, he said, he said, take nothing for your journey. I will provide for you. I will give you what you need. I will prepare their hearts. I will prepare their minds. I will prepare those who will receive you. 
I will take care of you where you will sleep, where you will stay, what you will eat, what you will wear. I'll take care of it. He said go. In Acts in chapter number 1, he tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said be a witness. And church, that is every saved, born again believer. That is our goal. That is our mission. A lot of places, whenever they're trying to hit a monetary goal, they'll put a thermometer up on the wall. And as they get there, they'll fill that thermometer in with red, waiting, trying to get to the top. As a church, we should witness with all of our might, just as David did. Whenever we get an opportunity, we should not pass it up. Whenever we get an opportunity to participate in things such as the, the, the parade, we're going to try to throw candy with Scripture tracks attached to it. Maybe somebody will take it home and their parents will read it. Maybe a kid will pick it up and read it. We don't know. But we're still called to witness. We don't know how many people is going to come through the Mile Branch this year. We don't know how many is going to refuse a Bible like they did last year. We don't know how many kids are going to ask their mama, Mama, why is that man laying bloody out in the yard like he is? Why is why is that man hanging up on that cross? Why are they talking about a man rose from the dead? Why, why, why? We want them to ask them questions. But we don't know. We're not called... Heard a guy say one time, he said, we're not called to make sure the plants grow. We're called to plant the seed. We're not called to make sure that somebody becomes a missionary. We're called to make sure they know Jesus. He said from that point forward, from the point the Holy Spirit enters into their life, enters into their heart, from salvation forward, God will take care of that. God will lead them to a church. God will lead them forward. God will teach them. The Holy Spirit will teach them. He said, but but we have to plant the seeds. We have to introduce them to Christ. Luke in chapter number 18. A man came to Jesus. In verse 18 he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do? Jesus, I'll do anything to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, Why thou call why thou callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. He said, All these have I kept from my youth. He said, I've done everything I could do to inherit eternal life. I've done everything I could do. To be saved. I've done everything I could do to go to heaven. Jesus said, Yet thou lackest one thing. One thing is holding you back. And it's some pronouns. I have done everything I can do. It's not up to I. It's not up to me. Whenever we depend on ourselves, then we have a problem. I love the scripture where David said, I have, with all my might, I have prepared the house of the Lord. It's a beautiful verse. 
But if we leave this church house and we go into the community to witness in the power of me, myself, and I, we are in trouble. He said, one thing thou lackest. He said, sell all thy house and distribute to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. He said, turn loose of what you have. Turn loose of what's holding you back. You are depending on what you have. You are depending on what you can do. You are depending on what you possess. God gave it to us. God allowed us to have it. God allowed us the health and strength to get up and go to a job where we can work. God allowed us. God gave it to us. So why do we depend on those things more than we depend on Him? Papa Clyde used to tell a story, and I have no idea who the man was. But he said hey, a lot of preachers would always ride with each other to revive us. He said there's one particular man, he uh, one of the only men in the community that had a, a good car. So he said whenever they get going, right before they get to the church, he said he turned loose of the steering wheel. He'd fold his hands and he'd pray. He said, he said wasn't nobody in that car closing their eyes and praying. He said the only man that had faith enough was the one behind the wheel. He said he closed his eyes, he'd fold his hands and he would pray for the service that they were about to make it to. He said every time they made it, even in a curve, the car just kind of drifted around the curve. But he was the only one who had faith enough. Everybody else was dependent on that man. Everybody else was dependent on that car. But that man was dependent on God. If we go and do something with all of our might, we have to go with God. Otherwise, we're beating the air. Anybody ever, ever boxed an invisible person? You ever tried to? So I went to this physical therapist. I messed up my shoulder in high school playing baseball. I went to him. He said, throw a ball. I said, I don't have a ball. He said, pretend to throw a ball. I said, that's dumb. He pretended to throw a ball. So I, I balled my hand up like this, and I pretended to throw a ball. I said, that ain't right. He said, you're right. That's not how you're supposed to throw. I said, well, give me a ball. I can't pretend. I can't do it without having physically something to hold on to, something to help me, something, something real. We can't physically serve God if we try to do it all by ourselves. We have to be holding on to God. We have to be dependent upon Him. We have to say, God, I am yours. This man couldn't give it all to God. He couldn't give everything to God. Because he was holding back, he was dependent on the things that he had. Acts in chapter number 4. We'll draw to a close. Acts in chapter number 4. Verse number 35. A bunch of people in the church here went and sold the things that they had. And they brought and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made in every man according to as he needed. Chapter 5, verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price and his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thy heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? While it remains, it was not thine own. And after it was sold, it was not in thine own power. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? That thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Whenever we say, God, I'm going to give everything to you, but we don't, 
You can lie to me. It's very easy to lie to me. I'm a trusting person. I'm easy to fool. It's hard to lie to God. It's hard to say, God, I'm going to give you everything I got in the next day. You don't. We hold back part of it. God, I'm going to live for you. But I got this other stuff I got to take care of first. That sounds like us, don't it? God, I'm going to live for you. But I got to take care of something first. He told the people in Luke. He said, come, follow me. The man said, I got to go bury my father. I got to go take care of my family. I got to go see after this other stuff. Jesus said, it don't work that way. You're either mine or you're not. You're either with me or you're not. You're either sold out toward me, sold out for my cause. You're either giving it with all of your might or you're not. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they both ended up, God took their life for lying to the Holy Ghost. But they didn't have to, they didn't have to do this. It was optional. They didn't have to sell that land. They didn't have to bring it, the, the money to the apostles for the poor. They didn't have to. They were doing it for the wrong reason. They saw everybody else bringing these hunks of money to the, to the apostles. Bringing all this and giving it to them. Say, give to the poor. And what happens whenever... What happens socially whenever people make a big donation to a just cause? Everybody looks at them a little different, don't they? Everybody looks at them like, well, that must be really good people. That must be a really good place. That must be a really good person. Look at them. And then Isis and Sapphira wanted to be that people, those people. They wanted to be those people that everybody looked at and said, wow. They wanted to give. They wanted to serve for their statue. The Bible says that everybody who wants to be first, where's he going to end up? God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. If we're going to give our life to God, we have to give our life to God and not hold back. And God will bless us for it. Does the Bible say anywhere in it? And we can give our life to God and He will not yet allow us to live? That He does not want us to have a job? That He does not want us to spend time with our family? That He does not want us to go on vacation? I heard a guy say one time, he said preachers ought not go on vacation. They got a job on Sunday. They got a job on Wednesday. They ought not go on vacation. God at no point in time tells us to give everything to Him and stop living. He don't want us to do that. God don't want us to stop everything, to quit everything, and to say, God, I quit my job. I turned loose with my family. I left everything. I'm not in church anymore. They're not taking up my time. God said to present our bodies a living sacrifice. God don't want our body. God wants our life. God wants us to go to work and witness for Him. God wants us to go to school and witness for Him. God wants us to go to the dollar store and witness for Him. He don't want us to stop living. He wants us to live for Him. He wants us to live a life that He can use. A life that is sold out for His cause, for His purpose. And the Bible says we'll be blessed for it.
This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can try with all your might to be saved and it's not going to work. You can try with everything that's within you to be saved and it's not going to work until you stop trying and believe. There is no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved but Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in Him. And this morning, you can try, you can beg, you can give money to the church, you can go have a, a somebody sprinkle water on you, you can go pray to this person, pray to that person. You can build a statue. It won't save you. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ will. Well, we have a verse for song. I ask for a verse of invitation. If someone has something on their heart, I invite you to come at this time.